It's time to discover your spiritual identity with your host, Mike Shree. There are hundreds of names and titles given to God's people that powerfully reveal who you are, why you exist, and what your purpose is in this world. Each one pulls back the veil of a different aspect of who you are in Christ. Once you learn these names and titles and apply them to your life, you will rise up boldly to be all that God has called you to be. Are you ready? Here's Mike Shree. The Most High God is definitely, fervently, passionately in love with all those who are married to him in a covenant relationship. The bride of the Song of Solomon said, I am my beloved's and his desire is toward me. Can you imagine that? Now, you are a part of his bride if you have been born again and washed in the blood of Jesus, and you are surrendered to the will of God in your life, and God's desire is towards you. It is God's good pleasure to walk in intimacy with you, just as a bride and a bridegroom divulge to each other secrets of the heart that no one else knows, so God desires to divulge to you the secrets of his heart. The Bible said the secret of the Lord is with those who fear him, and he will show them his covenant. So I'm praying that all of you who are listening to this episode today will have awakened within you this realization that God wants you on this higher level of intimacy with him. We're talking about our calling to be the bride, the lamb's wife. Now, last week in the last episode, we focused on the name, the bride for God's people. And this week, we're going to focus on the name, the lamb's wife. Both of them are in Revelation chapter 21, verse 9. An angel of the Lord came to John and said, Come, and I will show you the bride, the lamb's wife. And when John turned, instead of seeing a woman dressed up in wedding garments, he saw a city dressed up in wedding garments. He turned and saw New Jerusalem, the holy city of God, the eternal capital city of the new creation, descending out of heaven like a bride prepared for her husband. Now, many of the details and the amazing imagery of that holy city were revealed in the last episode, but we are going deeper in this session, and I hope you're ready to see some spectacular, symbolic, prophetic imagery about the bride. But first, let's turn our attention to a few little fundamental things. First of all, why does the Bible speak of God having a wife? Why would he even want one? And number two, why are we called the Lamb's wife? instead of the Savior's wife, or the Redeemer's wife, or the King's wife. Why the Lamb's wife? And number three, if the bride, the Lamb's wife, is represented by the eternal holy city, New Jerusalem, then what significant details of that city can really be applicable to our walk with God? I, I want to know how I can draw that information, that revelation down into my life so it becomes transformation. There's a lot of territory to cover. First of all, question number one, why would God want a wife? Well, 
God is love. God doesn't just try to love. God is love. But in order to be manifested, love must have an object. There must be an object of love or that attribute is hidden and fruitless. And there was certainly love within the Godhead in eternity past between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But I believe the Almighty God wanted to expand the territory in which that love could manifest. And so he conceived of a plan that would bring forth a bride. And I believe he was for lack of a better word, preoccupied with the idea of a bride when he began creation because actually the Bible begins with a marriage. It ends with a marriage. And when Jesus launched his ministry, it was at a marriage, the marriage feast at Cana. So it seems to me like this idea of marriage is really dominating the mind of God. What do I mean it began with a marriage? Well, Maybe it wasn't a ceremony like we're used to when it comes to marriage between a man and a woman. But in the Garden of Eden, when God created Eve to be a helper suitable for Adam, and he brought them together in a union that was blessed of him, that was the first marriage. And so the Bible starts out with this incredible story. I call it the Eve mystery. See, With every step of creation, God observed what he had done. He looked at what he had done, and his observation was, behold, it is good. But the first negative observation, the first thing he found that was not good, concerned Adam's aloneness. He said, it is not good that man should be alone. Well, at that time, A woman didn't even exist. So there was nothing that could be the solution for that problem of aloneness. And so why did God even recognize that aloneness in Adam? I believe it was because God recognized that aloneness within himself. And as he created a bride for Adam, he was symbolically, prophetically revealing how he would create a bride for himself. And there's a lot of beautiful details that we could go into. For instance, uh, Eve was hidden inside of Adam unconsciously before she was brought out of him and then shaped and formed into the one to whom he would be united. And in like manner, we were hidden in God. The Bible said we were chosen in him before the foundation of the world and that we were created in Christ Jesus unto good works before time began. So we must have been hidden in God, in Christ from the very beginning. I believe unconsciously, but we were there and then we were brought forth from him, separated from him for a season, only to be reunited with him, just like Eve. And when that took place, God put Adam in a deep sleep in order to bring forth this rib that would produce his bride. Well, in like manner, the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, the new covenant bridegroom, was placed in a deep sleep on the cross of Calvary. He slept the sleep of death, and then out of him came forth the substance that would produce the bride. 
the blood and water that poured out of his side when he was pierced with a spear represents, I believe, the water of the word and the blood of redemption that would gather a people worldwide unto the Most High to be a part of this marital covenant union forever. When Adam looked upon Eve, his immediate reaction was to prophesy. And he said, for this cause shall a man leave father and mother and be joined unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. But then in talking about that later on, Paul said, he that is joined to the Lord is one spirit. And he also referred back to what Adam said in the beginning in Ephesians chapter 5. He talks about the relationship between a man and his wife. And he said, husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. And then he quotes from Genesis. And by the way, this is Ephesians chapter 5, verses 28 through 32. He says, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. But then in verse 32, Paul says, This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. See, if we are joined to him in a marital union, just like Adam and Eve became one flesh, so we are his flesh and his bones, and we are joined to him not only physically, but he that is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him, according to 1 Corinthians six seventeen. What an amazing thing that according to Romans 7, 4, we have been married to him who was raised from the dead that we should bear fruit unto God. That's one of the main reasons we're married to him in a covenant relationship, just as Eve brought forth children unto Adam. So we bring forth fruit, the fruit of our labors for the kingdom of God as a way of responding to our heavenly husband man in great love, in, in great devotion. Question number two, why are we called the lamb's wife instead of the savior's wife or the redeemer's wife or the king of kings wife? Why the lamb's wife? Well, one of the fundamental laws that creation started off with is that species do not intermarry. Only those animals that are of the same species come together to produce offspring. And so horses are united with horses in order to bring forth offspring in their image. Well, if we are the lamb's wife, then the one who is united with him must also have lamb-like qualities, like innocence and purity and submission. All of these are attributes that are easily symbolized by the animal, the lamb. And if the lamb of God showed innocence and purity and submission, so the lamb's wife should show innocence, purity, and submission. And I believe that's a trio of attributes that make us very attractive to the heavenly husband, the son of God, the bridegroom who is searching the world over for his bride. 
Now, the third question I asked is if the bride, the lamb's wife, is represented by the holy city, New Jerusalem, can we take the details of that holy city and can we apply it to our lives in a practical way where the symbolism of it is is really relevant and transformational? Let's do that. Let's go to the holy city, New Jerusalem right now. And let's see some of the amazing aspects of that city and tie it in with who we are as the bride, the lamb's wife. Now, here's just a a, a small overview. First of all, the dimensions of the city of God are about 1,500 miles in each direction. The length, the breadth, and the height of it are equal. It's a perfect cube. And so the dimensions speak of perfection. And if there's anything that is mind-boggling to me is that God would choose such imperfect people as you and me in order to make us a part of this bride that he will bring to himself in perfection. In fact, you can read that in John chapter 17 when Jesus interceded over the church. He said, Father, the words you've given me, I have given them. The glory you've given me, I have given them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them and thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one, Christ in us, the hope of glory. We are headed for perfection at the resurrection when we rise to meet the Lord Jesus in the air and when we are shaped and formed into his glorious image as glorified eternal saints of the Most High God. Praise God, we will be perfect in every way. And quite possibly that's why New Jerusalem is a perfect cube. Now, the 12 gates to the city are named after the 12 tribes of Israel. And each one of those gates looks like a pearl. It's a celestial substance, certainly, but it looks like a pearl. Well, what relevance does that have in a symbolic way? If the bride is represented by the city of God, the holy city, New Jerusalem, and if the gates to that city look like pearls, what does that speak to you? What does that speak to me? Well, a pearl is produced by much suffering. A grain of sand or a parasite enters into the folds of an oyster's flesh and and creates pain, discomfort. And that oyster will secrete a milky-like substance called nacre and cover that rough-edged grain of sand or that parasite over and over and over again hundreds of times. This mother-of-pearl substance will coat this intruder until something quite valuable is created out of something that seemingly had no value at all to begin with, and something beautiful is created out of something that seemingly had no beauty to begin with, and such it is with our lives. See, this rough-edged grain of sand represents to me the carnal nature. And the parasite, well, that represents the demonic-like attacks on all of our lives. And these are uninvited things. These are intruders. I never wanted to have these to battle with my entire life. 
And it's not nacre that is secreted out of our hearts, but a different kind of milky-like substance. The Bible calls it the sincere milk of the word. And here we are faced with this carnal nature, faced with this demonic attack on our life, but we bring forth, we secrete out of our heart the milk of the word constantly, dozens of times every day. It is written. If God before us, who can be against us? It is written. There is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. It is written. I give you power over all the power of the enemy. And by the time this process is over, when we've learned to apply the word of God to our lives over and over and over again, hundreds of times, something beautiful is going to be created out of that that seemingly had no beauty at all to begin with, a fallen nature. And something valuable is going to be created out of something that seemingly had no value at all being the target of a demonic attack in this world. And not only that, the suffering we go through in this life will eventually be a portal into the glory of the next life. No wonder the gates to the holy city that represents the bride look like pearls, because it represents the suffering that you've gone through during this earthly journey. And I believe it will create a portal for you into the next life. Now, the 12 foundations appear as jewels, and in them are written the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. That strikes a bell with me because there were 12 jewels on the high priest's breastplate, the one who had the right to enter into the Holy of Holies. And if there's 12 jewels as the foundations of the holy city, then that leads me to believe that the bride has access into the heavenly holy of holies in a priestly role of service to God. And the walls, the Bible said, look like jasper, and they're great and high, 144 cubits high, which is about 216 feet, which is 20 stories high. Listen, the Great Wall of China is only about 20 feet high uh, most of the time. And I guess at its highest, it's, it might be 40 or 50 feet. But the wall around the holy city, New Jerusalem, is over 200 feet high. At least that's how John saw it in his vision. And a wall, to me, speaks of protection, preservation, and God is going to preserve and protect that which belongs to him, that which he will be married to eternally. The city also appears as pure gold, and the streets of the city are like gold. Well, what does gold speak to you? Gold is one of the most precious metals there is, and pure gold is so malleable, it's so easily shaped and formed, you can just touch 24 karat gold with your finger and it will change shape because it's so sensitive to the touch of a person. It is so easily shaped and formed. It's uh, one of the most malleable metals there is. You can take a little gram of gold and stretch it into a wire two miles long. You can take a person who is a part of the bride and you can see how God has brought them forth, just like Job said. Job, in the midst of his great suffering, said, uh, 
I look in front of me and I cannot perceive God. I look behind me. He's not there. I look on my right hand and on my left, but I cannot observe him. But God knows the way that I take. And when he has tried me, I shall come forth as gold. What does that mean? I believe it means that he would come forth purged of all the dross of the carnal nature and be shaped and molded easily by God into his eternal position in this great group of people called the bride of Christ. Well, there's so much more that can be said about the bride. I just urge you to get my book, Who Am I? And dig into the details of each one of these callings. Find out who God says you are in his word, and then develop in your life a mindset of declaring who you are. I am an ambassador for Christ. I am the salt of the earth. I am the light of the world. Dare to boldly walk in the roles that God has given you. And I look forward to our next session. We're going to be focusing on another name given to the people of God. It's going to be great. Thank you for listening to Discover Your Spiritual Identity with Mike Shree, a podcast designed to cause a spiritual awakening in your life. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, cpnshows.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss new episodes. You can go deeper into this amazing revelation of the names God has given his people by getting your copy of Mike Shreve's book titled, Who Am I? Dynamic Declarations of Who You Are in Christ. We also invite you to visit our website, shreveministries.org, and sign up to be part of our global internet family, a group of on-fire believers who are bold to proclaim, I am who God says I am, I have what God says I have, and I will be what God says I will be.